Open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Blake Williamson. Welcome to Ophthalmology Off the Grid's Survive and Thrive series. This episode is a special collaboration with Young MD Connect, in which Dr. Blake Williamson invites Drs. Caroline Watson and Rupa Wong and financial advisor Ms. Victoria Consoles to discuss how young ophthalmologists can make smart choices with debt and investments throughout their careers. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. so happy to be here tonight. It's always so fun to do uh, these workshops just because I feel like it's always answering uh, or speaking to real world questions that uh, those of us that are, are you know, just getting started out or, or in training uh, have. And it, I think that's very topical for tonight. And it's having to do with financial planning and um, you know, how you set yourself up for success. But it's so important because we just don't get that training, right? And, and all we're doing uh, in medical school and then in residency is just trying to be the best ophthalmologist possible. But sometimes it, it, you know, it helps to sort of have that business perspective as well. And so that's why I think it's great that we have the panel that we do uh, with my friends, Caroline and Rupa as well, and then have Victoria, Victoria there um, just to kind of give us some of her expertise. So this is sort of our first uh, kickoff question. And a lot of these questions were, were provided by uh, those of you that are attending the workshop tonight. So Rupa, maybe you, maybe you start off here, and, and then Caroline, you answer afterwards. If you could go back in time, what's one thing that you wish you had done to set yourself up financially? I mean, honestly, I don't think I could have done anything differently. I paid off my student loans as quickly as I could. I lived on basically as a resident or as, as a student. We always paid off our credit card bills on time every month. We had no uh, debt in that way. So we were set up pretty well, my husband and I to pay everything off and to be able to invest in our practice. So there wasn't much that we needed to do. My advice was just really maintaining the livelihood of a student. I didn't start doing all this, you know, extra stuff and buying extra things until we were really well settled into our career and practice. What about you, Caroline? Oh, I think I took a little bit of a different uh, path <laughs> than Rupa did. I, um, well, I went to medical school later on in life. I started at 27 and my husband was in a totally different career. Um, he was in the music industry. And so, you know, we were just kind of surviving when I was in medical school and I actually had um, a three-year-old when I started medical school and then had two of two more children in medical school. So that was really tough. And um, I think one thing I would have done differently um, and just how his income worked at that point in time would have been to probably do some more like investments, maybe like invest in some real estate, maybe even just a few smaller rental properties, something that could have you know, brought in some passive income while we were still in, uh, you know, school and jobs and things like that. 
and give us a little bit of a boost. And I think that's really one of the things I wish I had started doing a lot sooner than now. Yeah, I can tell you uh, from from my end, you know, I, I think that I wish that I had gotten financially literate sooner. So I, I I'll, I'll be honest, I'm a bit embarrassed. I haven't become financially literate until just the past, you know, two or three years. Uh, as I was buying into my practice and surgery center, now I'm the the, the uh, managing partner. So I, I was forced to. Uh, things were kind of on autopilot for me, which is a good thing, but also a bad thing. Um, you know, I, I think that understanding what's you know basic basic things like what's the difference between a liability and an asset. Um, understanding, um, you know, how you need to do dollar cost averaging uh, to to supplement your investment. So so learning, you know, basic vocabulary and 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 tools that you can use to not even think about uh, your financial uh, health, but actually be contributing towards it each and every month. So a lot of you, when you get in your jobs, they're gonna you know set you up with a four hundred one k, and absolutely you should max out your four hundred one k, and they should match it. But you need to be doing other things as well. Um, you know, now at this point, you know, I have a percentage of every single paycheck uh, that I get that goes directly to my Fidelity account, which is the, the app that I use for investing. Um, and it's all, you know, basically tied to exchange funds and ETFs and things like that. Um, and it just, I just, every single paycheck, I have a percentage that goes to that. I don't ever see it. It never hits my bank account. So I'm actively investing with every single paycheck. I wish I had learned that sooner. You know, I didn't even know about, you know, paying off your credit card in time, right? So basic things that Victoria is going to tell us about, you know, I, I thought that sometimes you can pay the minimum if you didn't have, have enough cash that month. Uh, and boy, was I wrong. I got hit with 18% interest charges. Um, so I was just kind of a mess for a while. And I was buying, I was buying a lot of stuff. So Rupa, you were able just to be disciplined and not go buy a bunch of stuff because it's tough once you, once you get a bunch of money, you know, it's tough not to do that. It, it is. And I think, you know, I had a year as a faculty member at Boston Children's Hospital. And the best advice I got was from the financial assistant. He was the assistant to our at head admin. And he said, go ahead and just sock away a thousand bucks each month into your 401k. Boston Children's can match. I was like, no, I'm making money. I got to spend it. You know, I want to be able to. And he said, you will not notice that it's missing. And you need to cultivate that habit now. It's the absolute best advice that I ever received because it just got me into the habit of starting to just pull away that money so you don't see it and investing in it and putting it into your retirement. So that was huge. Yeah, and, and, and setting up 529 plans for those of you that have kids, yeah. that's super important, <clears throat> right? So understanding all these tax-free strategies that you can use and, 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 and is huge. But, you know, I, I think another thing is just finding a mentor, you know, a, a financial mentor. We all have mentors in medicine and ophthalmology, right? Why not business? And, and that, that's, that's one thing that I've been doing recently with an organization that I joined. Uh, it's all about finding mentors in the business world. So, um, you know, I think, that, I think that that's huge. Caroline, is there anything that you've done in the, in the past year or two differently? Because now you're out, you have your own practice. You know, business is, you know, top of mind for you right now. Is there any, any new practices uh, or any new behaviors that you're doing for your to maintain financial health? Yeah, I can mirror what you're saying is finding people that you trust to take advice from financially. It's really hard. You know, it's, you're able to kind of um, find that mentor uh, in medicine not maybe not easily, but you know who your people are and you know who you can trust. And so when it comes to money, something that a lot of us are not trained to understand ever, um, unless we have a parent or someone in the family that does that for a living, you really have to, to find that right person. And so for me, I've 
my goal this year, you know, was to try to get really organized um, since I'm finishing training and starting a new practice, moving, new house, things like that. So I, you know, tried to network in the community and there's a new community. I'm not from here. I tried to find a, a good CPA that was well-respected. I, I found um, kind of an investment banker, uh, someone in finance um, that could help me kind of organize my accounts, my investments accounts, the 529s for the kids and everything. And that's really given, uh, taken a lot of stress away from me because I feel like I was trying to control all of it when I really probably don't have the skill set to do that uh, right now. I'm going to learn, obviously, as time goes on. But finding, you're right, finding the right people you can trust to help you stay organized, kind of point you in the right direction, tell you where to put the money, how much, you know, I just really needed a little bit of guidance and, and it really made a big difference. Yeah, my, my mentor recently told me, he said, yeah, poor people buy stuff, middle-class people buy liabilities and wealthy people buy assets and understanding what those three things are um, it, it has been uh, really life-changing for me. But but finding someone that can, that can kind of you know show you the path, show you the way, uh, is huge. But don't just buy stuff. Understand what assets are. Uh, make sure you're maxing out. You know your 401k. Make sure that you're contributing to a, 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 you know any other Roths or any other retirement plans that you can each month without looking at your paycheck. Um, and and finding that mentor is, is so big. So and I think that uh, Caroline, you're going to walk us through your financial responsibility during training. Sure. So as I mentioned, in medical school, it was very challenging, especially with babies and children and a husband who traveled a lot. Um, as I made my way towards the end of medical school, um, you know, things kind of shifted around. Debt management, it was challenging. It was tough, but it got better with each stage of training. I uh, actually supplemented my income starting the last year of medical school by starting a business that ended up really um, bridging us through this entire training process. And actually, I made more money from my business from the last year of medical school all the way through my fellowship than I did from medical school and fellowship training, which is just amazing uh, that you can do that um, at the same time. And, you know, it's just something that I felt like I could handle and something that just, you know, ended up being really um, beneficial for our family. And it really did save us several times just over the course of those five year, five or six years. And, um, you know, as far as managing the finances, at that point, it was just surviving. And we moved, gosh, we moved three different times, three or four different times during that those stages. So it was really tough in that last phase when I was in fellowship, I actually lived separately from my family, from my husband and three children. And so, you know, we're kind of paying double for everything. So that, that business and the fellowship um, income. And then, you know, it, it came with a few little financial perks, like getting paid to take call and kind of getting uh, involved in industry and really starting to kind of um, take off doing talks and ad boards and things like that, that really helped supplement paying for two different, uh, you know, housing situations, just utility bills and things and travel back and forth. So, you know, it was, difficult early on. It got easier in medical school at the end. And then obviously in residency, you're starting to make a paycheck. And then towards the end of fellowship, you really start feeling <laughs> like you're 
you're getting ahead and, and actually on top of things rather than trying to play catch up all the time. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, being able to find time to, to do something um, while you're actively in school or in training uh, is amazing. A lot of people don't have, you know, the access, you know, or the thought to, to kind of put that forth. Um, and the, the, the business that you did was unique to what you already know, which I think is good. I think if you're going to do something during that critical time, uh, make sure you, it's what you know. Like, I don't know if I'm in the middle of like residency training, if I would recommend like trying to become like a real estate investor, right? <laughs> Unless that's something that you really know about or you have family in it or something like that. But the business that you were doing made a lot of sense because you were already in it. You already knew the business. And I think that, you know, the same goes true whenever you get out uh, uh, and start practicing like trying to do things that you already know about, for instance, consulting, right? Speaking for different companies, things that you believe in, you know, that's totally in your, in your wheelhouse or, you know, maybe setting up some type of management company um, that can oversee um, other practices in your area and you can show them best practices, how to grow their business. You know, again, that's something that, that, that's sort of in your wheelhouse. So I think that, that finding that is huge. Rupa, have you been able to, you know, look into that as well? Like, is there other things that you do that have anything to do with ophthalmology that, that you're involved in uh, financially? So when I was, same like Caroline, when I was in medical school, beginning first year of med school, all the way through residency, I actually tutored and I went to med school in New York City. So I was tutoring a lot of these private high school kids on the Upper East Side. I was making $150 an hour which is probably more than I make as a pediatric ophthalmologist. So it supplement, you know, I paid all my expenses. I had a scholarship in college. So I was able to really supplement, you know, I came out with very little loans because I was able to work through med school and residency and it didn't require an inordinate amount of time. And I was, like I said, I was, I was tutoring AP chem, AP physics, AP bio, stuff that, you know, most of us know like the back of our hands. So, and it was fun and it was interesting for me to do it. So it gave me a little bit of a break from, from med school and from residency. So that was a great thing to do. Ad boards are a little harder for pediatric ophthalmologists. There aren't that many of them. So we can't really, that's not so much of an option um, for us, but there's so many different avenues to be able to pursue, which is always exciting to explore. Yeah, and I think that the other thing I'd say is that use that your time during training to start to train yourself to be financially literate. Uh, you know, you're learning so much about everything else. Maybe that's when you read those books. Okay, Victoria, we're gonna turn it over to you here. Um, you're our expert. Talk to us about debt management for the working professional. Thanks, Blake. Um, yeah, well, thanks for sharing all of that, both Rupa and Caroline and Blake. And I think it's so important to be open about this, right, and help create um, stories that we can share with each other and trust in each other and help kind of share our lessons we've learned along the way. So here you'll see an example of just a life cycle of doctors. And you know you may experience some version of this along the way, starting with the protection stage, really developing in your career, kind of getting your footing. And then when you start to build wealth and you can focus on um, paying down student loans and debt, and then really focus on kind of the later stages of your wealth accumulation, and transitioning through your legacy. So it's a very developmental career stage and understanding how to deal with your finances along the way is so important um, because each varies in its own way. Um, when we talk about financial planning and your own personal financial planning, it's all unique to each individual, but it's really goal-based. So I always encourage people to just sit down and write your goals down. Um, if you're, you know, 
you're dealing with just your finances, then just focus on you and what's important to you. If you have a partner or family, then those goals are also important, um, but just understanding them. So whether it's to save for a house and then what's what's the next step there? So is it actually opening a high yield savings account and automating transfers? Like you had mentioned, automating transfers right from your paycheck there and really making it so you don't have to think about it. What And if it's paying down debt, understanding a budget and focusing on reducing your expenses to really pay down the debt that's of the highest interest rates. Um, and you know if it's saving for retirement, then participating in an employer's retirement plan. Um, it, it could be a combination of all of these two and understanding what your picture looks like and what fits in for those and, and what your goals are along the way. Um, it's so important to budget too. And I think that as you start out and maybe you're in residency and you've got a, a smaller budget here trying to, to really develop in your career and city and understanding what's important to you and what your values are, what's coming in and what's actually leaving each week or each month, however you really track those. Um, so are you spending money on things that are important to you? I like to track all of this. Uh, Mint.com is a great resource. Um, you know, seeing at the end of each month are, is what left, you know, do you find value in what's left your, your account and what you spent your money on? And if not, what could you change? And looking at, okay, do I have a surplus and what do I want to do with that? And it goes back to your goals um, that we talked about a minute ago. I think one thing to touch on too, that plays a huge role coming out of medical school is debt. So there's all sorts of different types of debt. Some of them are productive, like student loan debt. Um, and a mortgage. And there's other, you know, unproductive debts like credit card debt, which have very high interest rates and they get us with their deals, you know, no interest for the first nine months. And then, okay, 10 months go by and you don't realize you're paying all this interest, very high interest rates on credit cards. So understanding how you can pay down these debts as you go and looking at the highest interest rate and setting a plan for yourself and boundaries and sticking to those. Um, student loans are so important, making sure you're on top of all of those and tracking as well, making sure you have a good grasp around everything, kind of creating a net worth statement is so helpful, being able to write down all of your assets, all of your liabilities, and to track everything, it helps track progress and it helps build momentum as you continue as well. Understanding your loans when you're first out and working, and if there are any options for you in terms of public service loan forgiveness and you know different pay-as-you-earn plans um, that correspond with your income, which um, can depend on your financial situation with you and if you have a partner as well. But these are all different ways to kind of plan out your future and may help manage your debt along the way. Victoria, so, so would you say that um, you'd recommend um, for folks listening on this call, if they've never bought a stock ever, if they don't know anything about the stock market, um, wouldn't it make sense for them to learn about ETFs and what those are? Um, you know, if they're if they have normal goals, which is to grow low and slow, um, these exchange these index funds have kind of given us an opportunity to do that safely without much risk. Is that something they should read about ETFs? You think? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, educating yourself is so important. There's so many resources and being able to find the trusted resources out there for you and understanding how to invest in, you know, whether it's a low cost mutual fund or ETF, whatever, uh, you know, everyone has a unique 
situation. I can't, um, you know, give it direct investment advice on this sort of a platform, but understanding how to diversify your portfolio, whether it's through mutual funds and ETFs to, to start investing to compound that interest as you go. Perfect. Rupa, take it away. Tell us about financing it all, family, career, and a side hustle. And a side hustle, all of it. All right. So I finished fellowship back in 07. My husband was a year behind me. And many of you probably know ophthalmology fellowships, at least back then, I don't know if it's changed. They actually paid less than during your residency. So I carried him. I was a sugar mama when I had my one-year uh, faculty appointment at Boston Children's. And that's when we decided we wanted to purchase our practice. I can't divulge exactly how much it cost, but it was between half a million and a million dollars. So for people that are just finishing training, that is a lot of money. And we had not one single asset to earning. We had one, actually not true. I had a Dodge Neon car that I bought on Craigslist for $3,000. That was the only thing that we owned. We rented an apartment. We didn't have a mortgage. We had nothing and very little in our savings account. My husband had uh, probably about $100,000, which we completely emptied to be able to pay for our wedding and pay for our practice, which were happening both in the same year, six months apart. So it was a very stressful year, 2008. And the way to get the loans, it was hard. We tried several banks. And I think, honestly, my best uh, advice would be to go for the smaller community banks where you might have a little bit more of just being within the community, they might know you, that's going to be your best bet compared to, especially if you're trying to get a loan straight out of practice where you don't have any history of being able to start a successful practice. They don't know if you can bring patients into your door. They don't know if you're going to be a good business owner and you have no assets. I didn't have, you know, we had no car or house or anything to speak of that they could take as um, collateral. But writing a really good business plan. And I spent months, you know, basically every day for like six weeks, writing a solid business plan, going through the numbers and then presenting it. We were able to get a loan from our uh, community bank. And I think the other thing is also just thinking outside of the box a little bit. This guy that retired wanted us to buy his practice. He'd gone through this so many times and he was ready to retire. So he actually financed it for us, a large portion, a half a million of it, he financed at a 7% interest rate, which is not that great, but it's all we could get. So between that financing, between a bank loan that we were able to get and my husband's $100,000, all three of them enabled us to buy the practice. And then we were left with $0 and we moved to the highest cost of living state in the country, which is Hawaii, it tops California. And you don't think about that when you are in training where you want to go. Everybody wants to live in LA or New York, or those are great places, or maybe come out to Hawaii, but you have to consider the cost of living because then we, we the only option we had was to go live with my mother-in-law when we were newlyweds and we saved our money. And, you know, for six months, we just saved. And again, we pulled this like crazy multiple loan situation because we were lucky. It was December of 2008. And I know you guys like might've been born at that time, but December of 08 is when the market like really tanked and more like the housing price, we found a housing price. Now median home price in Hawaii is $1.1 million. That's the median home price. So we found, which was nuts to think that would be the first house we ever purchased, but it was something that was such a good price. It was $1.6 million, which is like makes me crazy to think about it, but it dropped a million dollars in price. So we knew that this was a great buy. And again, we just cobbled together. The bank did a second and two loans for us to be able to pay. So we only put 5% down to be able to pay for our home. And, and there is a lot of fear with that. You don't know when you're coming. I didn't know business management. We didn't know how much. I mean, I did my business plan, but 
are we actually going to be able to, are the patients going to reach, stay with us? Are we going to be able to retain this? You know, we were both in it together. Neither of us had an extra income. Like my husband wasn't working as an employed person somewhere else. This was it, like, you know, all in. So that's a little scary, but I think when you really fall back on your skill set and your training and the fact that you're good, like you're smart, you've gotten to where you are, then you can just put that fear aside and go for it. And obviously going forward with like, like Blake is saying, doing all the research, learning, you guys like to learn. We all like to learn doing what you need to so that you understand the risks that you're taking is huge. So we took a 5% loan for our mortgage. And then we were able to pay off at least that first small loan within about three years. That's how long it took us to pay um, that loan off and then, you know, still have the mortgage. So it's a lot. I mean, we have a, it's very different for us because we're an extremely high cost of living area. I can't buy real estate. Real estate's really difficult to buy in Hawaii because it's all protected Hawaiian land. So the things that we have to do are slightly different. So when Blake and Caroline were talking about finding a mentor, I think it's really helpful to find a business mentor within your community because someone from the middle of the United States is not going to be able to speak to the economic um, challenges that I face here in Hawaii. So I think it's really important to find someone in your community. And then diversifying my career, I've always just been a big fan of, all right, I can't buy real estate because it's like $6 million to buy a property. So how can I earn money where it's not time for, you know, trading my time for dollars? Because that's not, I want to be able to make a little bit of extra income while I'm sleeping. That's my goal. So, and that's where social media has helped me build business to my practice without paying anything. And then there's ad income from YouTubes and all of that stuff. So we can talk more about that later too. That's it in a nutshell. <laughs> I love it. I, I love that you're uh, the sugar mama too. But I always ask yes, my dad. Yes, I was. <laughs> I, I, I always ask my dad, who's an ophthalmologist, to say, what, what, what did you want to be if you weren't going to be an ophthalmologist? And he says, a rich woman's boy toy. <laughs> so thank you for being so honest, Dad. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid Survive and Thrive series. And thank you to our guests, Drs. Watson, Dr. Wong, and Ms. Consoles for sharing their expertise with us. Tune in next episode.